My name is Kelly Temple, I'm the NUS National Women's Officer um, and what that means is I lead the women's campaign um, in NUS right across the UK, so across England, Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland. Um, I was the Women's Officer for NUS Scotland for two years previously and this is my second year as the National Women's Officer. <coughs> so what I'm going to do is provide you with a little bit of context about why as NUS we commissioned this research, why it was important for us, um, and then after, after me, Isabel's going to come up and actually take you through the research that she did. So why? Um, back in 2011, we published a piece of research <coughs> called Hidden Marks, and that was the first ever research looking at women students' experiences of sexual harassment and violence during their time as a student. Um, the findings of that research were that one in seven women students surveyed had experienced serious physical or sexual assault during their time as a student. So this was not during the course of their lifetime, but this was while they were a student um, at that point. 68% have experienced <coughs> some kind of verbal or non-verbal harassment in and around their institution, and more than one in ten have been a victim of serious physical violence. So as a result of this research, we started working with student unions to try and tackle the culture of sexual harassment. Um, but what we were also very conscious of was that this is not necessarily um, all, all the picture. It was very much a starting point in the first time we'd done anything like this. As someone who is now in my fourth year as a full-time women's officer of the organisation, I've spent a lot of time working with women's officers and student unions who are often volunteers, um, but also with the people who are the sabbaticals and the leaders in, in student unions as well. And I don't know what I've just moved that forward for, um, but it's okay because we can go back. Um, but what I'm very conscious of was that I was hearing stories of what campus culture looked like um, how it was a very toxic and sexist culture and actually what the impact on women students was and so for me it was very worrying because this is a story which was being repeated and repeated by women's officers in different institutions around the country but actually what we didn't have was any, was any, any form of evidence around this that was beyond my anecdotal um, knowledge which I would share at the women's conference and, and things like that um, but especially around the issue of how that affects women students' lives and well-being, as a women's officer, it was something which was a great concern to me. So I was very conscious as well that the complex, oh, I keep doing that, complex effects and aspects of this need to be better understood because I could have told you lots of different stories and experiences, um, but actually what we really want to understand is what's really going on and that this is not a simplistic issue, this is something that's going to require um, more than anecdotal stories and some proper research to be done. As well for NUS, there's important implications for the student movement as well as institutions. So if a campus culture is toxic and harmful to a group of students, that is not just an issue for students at that specific institution. As a student movement, it is absolutely an issue for us as a whole. Um, and we're also very conscious that in, in NUS, for example, um, you know, those things also move into, into the, the space which we occupy. Um, and it's important that we actually, as a student movement as a whole, have an understanding of what's going on and what we can do about it. So that was why we commissioned the research on lab culture. And the way that I'm just very going to introduce the way that we define lab culture in particular, being defined as a group or pack mentality, residing in activities such as sport and heavy alcohol consumption, and banter in inverted commas. Um, and I'm sure some of you know what. <laughs> what I refer to with banter, inverted commas, but for those of you who don't, um, banter is often the way in which 
people say things which are maybe socially unacceptable because they are sexist, homophobic and misogynistic. Um, and they go, but it's a joke, so I can say it. And almost premise things with an irony in order to say things which are actually just homophobic and misogynistic. Um, and this is why banter is also in inverted commas, because this was actually one of the most common challenges was when women's officers, for example, were challenging sexist behaviours on campus, they were being met with um, the idea that they had no humour, you can't take a joke, it's just funny, rape jokes are just really funny, why can't you see the humour in them? Um, and it was really frustrating and, and marginalising and isolating actually for a lot of the women who were trying to deal with this and who felt like they were very much on their own trying to deal with this. And it's also thought to be a sexualised culture which involves the object objectification of women and rape-supportive attitudes. Um, and it's something which I'm sure we'll talk about more as well in terms of some of the findings, uh, both within the research that we did initially, but also within our further research and consultation with student unions. Um, but also that this occasionally spilled over into sexual harassment and violence. Um, so obviously building on the previous work in Hidden Marks where we explored that, um, we discovered links with actually the, cu the culture around that enables those sort of behaviours to persist. Lab culture and masculinities. So we're very conscious while we were conducting this research and the way we wanted this to go, um, that we understand that cultures, including lab culture, are not fixed. This is not static. This is not a static concept. Um, it forms a set of behaviours that people both men and women and people of any gender can dip in and out of as well. This is not just something that a certain group of people do to another certain group of people. This is a set of behaviours which is normalised and dominant, which anyone can tap into. Um, masculinity is not fixed characteristic either. Um, and actually the hyper-masculinity, hyper which is also often privileged in lab culture, uh, is only one form of masculinity and I think it's important to, to be aware of that. But lab culture is clearly related to that concept of masculinity and to the privileging of a very narrow form of that. Despite being fluid and socially constructed, lab culture and masculinity can have very real impacts on students' experiences. And this is something that I know from working in the student movement, but we also didn't actually have much documenting this or any research really, really exploring this in the way that we perhaps should have. Um, so again, this is another, another way that it was really important for us as an organisation and as a student movement to really understand what's going on so we can start tackling it. Gender and student identities. Uh, so while lab culture, as I mentioned before, is fundamentally about masculinity and gender, uh, we're also conscious that gender is one key factor in shaping women's experiences particularly, but it's not the only one. And actually, lab culture clearly also has implications for other facets of students' identity, so their sexual orientation, race, disability, and faith or belief. So, for example, a couple of examples that um, have come up is that homophobic bullying in sports teams, for example, and what that means for people of any gender within a sports team. Um, and in terms of religion and belief, if the predominant culture on campus and the site where activity happens um, is focused around alcohol, then that just excludes and marginalises students who, for whatever reason, whether that's about their religion or belief, wouldn't be in that space. Um, and so the site of where activity happens in, on campuses was also really important with regards to that. A result of unequal power relationships. So what we are very conscious of is that this lab culture affects everyone, men and women and people um, who don't define as men and women. But the difference was in terms of the way that it impacted on people that women were more directly oppressed by it. 
Um, and a lot of that is linked to the masculine model being seen as neutral and masculine being equated with neutral in a lot of, um, in a lot of the way that actually higher education institutions are constructed and behaviours actually being as a result of unequal gender relationships. And we know that within the higher education sector, women's representation in terms of decision-making is a problem like it is in every other sector um, in society. But when we actually have a, a situation where masculine models um, of power are neutral, then actually it, be you, it becomes very difficult when that is the default as well to imagine <coughs> other, um, other, other power relations. A different a problem for NUS is some of our core values around democracy, equality, well-being and inclusion, and I keep pushing that button, I'm going to put it down. Um, I'm so keen, just so keen. Um, obviously, our democracy is a key aspect of the student movement that we're really proud of in terms of the way that we organise ourselves in student unions, but what we're finding is that if, if, there's only, if there's certain groups of students that cannot access our democratic structures because of this culture which dominates, that's a problem for us. Equality, well-being and inclusion, if there are some of our members who... Whose, whose inclusion is not is not actually is not actually something which is happening, whose well-being is being negatively affected, and where equality is not actually being realised in terms of not only the processes of democratic structures and such, but actually campus life and what the student experiences look like, then we have a problem as an as an organisation as a student movement, um, and that's why it's really important for us that actually we tackle this from that angle. And. Last slide, uh, lab culture and campus culture. So one of the things which um, came out quite a lot in the report and was spoken to a lot of people about is actually the campus culture being seen as the social side of university, where is the space for other sides of campus life? And if the dominant culture within the social aspect of university um, is, is premised on lab culture, then that's a very narrow sphere of opportunity for the majority of students. Um, a high there's a high degree of overlap between campus culture and lab culture is absolutely what we found and the thing that's really really important actually for us is that I believe student unions and universities have the power and responsibility to influence um, campus culture so while um, as Isabel's going to go through some of the findings it, w it will be, will be really grim some of it will be really rough to hear um, but I'm optimistic because eternally an optimist what I know is that we have the power and collectively, actually, as a higher education community and sector to start doing something about this, um, which is why I'm really excited that you've organised um, this event on the back of the research because we are absolutely, and I'll talk more about where we're, what we're doing as an organisation about this, but um, we have the power and responsibility to do something, so I'm really glad that we are. So thank you very much. Um, I'm going to hand over to Isabel, and then we'll take questions afterwards. So if you do have any questions, write them down so you don't forget them. Um, but thank you very much, and I'll hand over to Isabel. So yeah, I'm Isabel Yan. I was a research associate for the University of Sussex, um, and we were commissioned by the NUS to, to do this research. So um, I'd just like to start, uh, start by saying thank you very much for having me here to speak today. I'm really excited to, to share the research with you. Um, I'd also like to offer my apologies on behalf of my supervisor, Alison Phipps, some of you may know her. Um, she can't be here because she's on maternity leave. Um, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to start by um, introducing the research and outlining what we understand lab culture um, to be and its impacts on women students in higher education. I'm then going to speak about three of the main findings, which are lab culture and the social, 
uh, lab culture in the nighttime economies, so um, nightclubs, nightclub promotion, that sort of thing, and and then touch on laddism and identities before looking ahead for further areas for possible research. Um, I'm only going to be able to touch on a lot of the things, and, and some of it will really draw on what Kelly's already brought up, but I'm, I'm very happy to go into more specific detail afterwards if any of you have any, any questions. Um, I'd also like to issue a trigger warning. As Kelly said, some of the findings are quite grim, um, but I do feel they're important to raise because they, they highlight the extent to which lab culture is an issue. So why lab culture? Um, obviously this is something we're all interested in, that's why we're all here today. Um, but for my own personal interest, I first became aware of it as an issue in early 2012. Um, some of you may remember uh, Unilad's article, Sexual Mathematics, um, which caused a lot of controversy. And there was one line in particular, which you can see here, and that was, if the girl you've taken for a drink won't spread for your head, think about this, mathematical statistic. 85% of rape cases go unreported. That seems to be fairly good odds. Unilad does not condone rape, condone rape without saying surprise. So there was a lot of debate which emerged from um, this form of banter. Um, also more recently we had Rebecca Meredith and the Glasgow debate um, in which she was met with calls of um, shame woman and frigid bitch when she was presenting at, at the Glasgow Debating Society. And um, there's also been reports in the media of slut dropping, seal clubbing, fresher fucking, which I'm happy to talk more about. And more recently even is the viral sensation Return of Kings, which if you haven't looked at, I would suggest you do so because I feel this takes it to, to a whole other level. Um, so I feel like this really shows the re-emergence of lag culture from its original, um, uh, the original use of the term in the 1950s and again in the 1990s. So just to summarise the research, as Kelly said, we were commissioned by the NUS and that was part of the uh, Department of Gender Studies at the University of Sussex. And it was quite um, a short study. It ran from October 2012 to January 2013. And as Matthew said, it was published in March. Um, it consisted of two parts. So the first was an in-depth literature review and the second was qualitative research, which I conducted across England and Scotland. And that was four focus groups and 21 interviews with 40 women students. Our sample was self-selected and it was consisting of mostly white, middle-class, heterosexual and um, students that were aged 18 to 25, but there was some diversity regarding ethnicity, social class, um, sexual orientation and disability. And again, I'll, I'll touch on that later. Um, the three main research questions <coughs> we set out to explore were the first, how, if at all, does lab culture shape women students' experiences in the educational, educational, social and personal spheres of higher education? Secondly, how, if at all, does lab culture interact with identity? <coughs> and finally, does lab culture relate to gender issues and policy in higher education more broadly? So quite big um, questions that we set out to look at. So from both the literature review and the qualitative research, there were six overarching themes, which were the social, identity, education, personal, as well as lab culture and campus culture. And I used these master themes to code the data and then ultimately represent the, the common findings and, and significant views in the final report. So what is lag culture? Um, I've already touched on examples of it, and of course Kelly's overviewed it, um, but I guess it's important to highlight that it is really complicated. Um, 
it, we do really see it as one of a variety of potential masculinities um, that individuals, both men, male and female, can dip in and out of. And it's, I feel like it's important to conceptualise it as a set of behaviours linked with hypermasculinity. So as we've already heard, that includes um, misogyny, the objectification of women, sexual pressure, sexual harassment, and sporting and drinking cultures. And it has been described in the literature as a, a template for modern masculinity, but um, it, it is also complicated because we had women students who had themselves been involved with that culture, and they also talked about many of the men they knew who, who chose to avoid it. Um, we also found literature to suggest that it's a defense, um, defensive response to women's success, so really furthering this idea of the, the crisis of masculinities. And um, it also supported Stephen Dempster's work, who um, he'll talk about it later, I'm sure, um, the links between lag culture and sport and drinking. And it was very much seen as um, heavily embedded within the social, um, perhaps because of campus culture in general being very, very socially defined. Um, and just a side note on what we understand campus culture to be, um, that's a, a heterogeneous bubble. Um, and it's a culture of shared yet shifting values um, amongst young people in close proximity. And it's centered on alcohol, socializing, and gender roles. So quite diverse once again. So if I'm gonna talk about lag culture and the social, I'm just gonna overview some of the, the main sub-themes here. And the first is sports clubs and societies. And, and this was very much two-pronged for me. So on the one side, we had the importance of sports and societies for, for students in terms of their identity construction at, at such an important time of their life. And on the opposite side, you know, I was met with stories of sexual harassment, both verbal and physical, um, on the part of, of the sports team. So it, it's quite difficult to, to hear about that. Sporting initiation. So many participants mentioned this, and it's actually really under-researched in, in the UK. Um, so examples of this in terms of male sporting initiations, I think I'll share some with you. But that included drinking until someone's sick and then forcing the other teammates to drink that sick, urinating on teammates, licking beer from one another's testicles, and perhaps most shockingly, taking roofies, um, which is a form of a hypnol, and then forcing teammates to run through areas of the city famous for anal rape with no trousers on. Um, in terms of female sporting initiations, um, there's the game gin or water, um, forcing or through, through social um, pressure to black up for a night out, and um, apple bobbing in the concoction of very disgusting ingredients. So really quite shocking things there. Um, drinking and nights out, if I continue to focus on the negative aspects, um, it was really kind of disheartening to hear that this was caught, lag culture was causing participants to avoid certain clubs uh, where they felt that laddish behaviour was going to be prevalent. So really limiting the kind of social experiences of, of the women we spoke to. Um, the nighttime economy, I'm going to touch on this again in a moment, but I think the finding here that really stood out for me was this idea that the nighttime economy so um, clubs notice lag culture, they're recognising it, and they're actually using it to profit. So they're using the sexual objectification of women and the, and the typical behaviours and, and really furthering this with their promotion and with the nights that they offer. Banter and misogyny amongst peers. So I don't think that there was one participant who didn't mention banter when we asked the question, what do you understand lag culture to be? And, and this was anything from sandwich jokes to, to comments about women and their, and their sexual practices. 
predatory sexual behaviour. So this was for both men and women. So for, for women, there was something, uh, for example, called the Chino Challenge, which is where women students would rate each other, give each other scores based on the dress code of the, of the guy they got with on a night out. And amongst men, there was, um, as I mentioned earlier, fresher fucking, which is where you, you go and you, you prey on freshers, young female freshers, because you see them as easy targets to sleep with. Um, and there was a, a pressure around sexual behaviour in general. So um, there was a, a story about a young man who was peer pressured into losing his virginity. Sorry. And um, this, this sort of feeling that you can't go home alone, like you have to pull on a night out. It's very degrading to be you know, the only one left without someone to get with. Um, sexual harassment and violence. There, as Kelly said, there was a connection for some of our participants between uh, banter or rape jokes and the direct lived experience of some of the women we spoke to and, of course, their friends. Uh, pressure and pack mentality. So that this was quite a recurring theme, this description of lads as packs or um, this idea of conformity uh, or perhaps alpha male behaviour. So an example is you have the leader of the pack and he might claim a woman and that means none of his friends can get with her, even <coughs> if perhaps she's not even interested in him. And finally, the objectification of women. Um, examples of this which spring to mind are uh, Unilad had some merchandise such as um, beer bacon and a blowjob iPhone cases and of course there's nights at local clubs like pimps and hoes and steak and blowjob nights. Um, so this is the, the main um, sub-themes of lag culture and the social and I've chosen three extracts from the research findings to share with you which I feel really illustrate these points. So the first is from um, a pre-written narration um, and it was a participant who was really active in sports at university but frequently experienced um, sexist behaviour. So we have the phrase, I'm going to put you in half, that's fuck you till you can't walk for anyone not in touch with loud language, was a phrase constantly shouted at female sports teams, whether it was during one of our matches whilst trying to concentrate on a game of sport or in a night out accompanied by a boob grab. Uh, the second extract taken from one of the focus groups when the participants were discussing sexual harassment on a night out. I have a friend who had some guy that even put his hands down her pants on the dance floor and she was a really quiet girl and she didn't say anything. She told me when I got out of the club, I was so angry I wanted to go and punch him but I couldn't find him in the club. I've heard a few friends who have had things like that happened that have gone past a joke. I think guys think it's okay to do that. And the final extract, um, which explores socialising through sexual objectification. I think this kind of lag culture, let's watch porn together and laugh at all these women in some kind of gang, horrible gangbang situation. I don't know what they watch, but I have lots of very nice male friends that tell me about things they watch and I just think, oh my God, no wonder people think it's okay to grope you on a night out if this is becoming the norm to view. And there were dozens and dozens of story like, stories like this, um, many of which you can read about in That's What She Said. But, um, you know, like they are difficult to hear, but they do highlight um, the really detrimental side of life culture um, and how it's affecting women students' experiences of higher education. So, lad culture and the night economies, as I said, this was for me really interesting and there's really limited academic inquiry into it um, today. And as we know from the research and also from talking to any student, um, drinking is a really central part of, of the student experience, not, as Kelly said, for everybody, but for a lot of students in the UK. 
Um, and I'm just going to focus briefly on the finding that nightclubs are tapping into the growing trend of live culture and they're, they're using it to their advantage. So I'm just going to read um, the four extracts on the screen and then talk about some of the, the issues raised in them. So the first, I think they can find out who are students and they can target you and add you on Facebook. They can bombard you with things and photos. I think the internet has a big impact on it. I think nightclubs are thriving off it. Nobody's got as much money to burn on alcohol as students have, but then nobody wants to go out as much as students do. It's like Monday night is this night, every night is students night. I think nightclubs encourage the whole culture altogether. Things like free drinks for girls, free entry for girls. They're trying to encourage like with bait, so that more guys will come and pay for drinks and entry. In first year there was definitely club nights which were advertising this image of slutty girls, trying to have this image of girls who are going to like put out or whatever, using them as bait for the guys to come. So you go to a club and you're judged by your looks. You're marked on your looks. And then the club has managed to infiltrate you walking to university and then you're still being judged by your looks instead of who you are. It's just slowly, slowly seeping into every aspect. So uh, for me, there's a number of issues here. The first is this idea that we've got um, the night economies tapping into a lifestyle style of peer pressure, drinking, going out every night, skiving off lectures, getting with girls. Um, and this was really discussed by a lot of the participants. Uh, the second is using women to promote nights out and to make profits. So if I think of two examples that were raised, there was one um, where the flyers and the leaflets for a club night uh, featured a woman, women in cages and, and a woman who had, was wearing nothing but duct tape over her, over her genitals. And another one, um, which was kind of impressive in the, in the fact that it was even established, but the, the club would send text messages to people who had been um, acting as if it was a girl, being like, oh, I had a great time on Thursday night, can't wait to see you again. So people would get these text messages and be like, what? Who is this? Before realising, of course, it was the club night that they had uh, been to. <laughs> um, and I think for me, what was really worrying was the idea that this it's infiltrating a place of learning. Um, of course, being a student is, is multifaceted. You're there to have fun, but... If you're going to your campus and you, you see the nightclub promoters and they're doing something where, let's rate this bird out of 10, like that, that to me doesn't feel right. And in a way then that's redefining the university experience. I think perhaps quite a disheartening story that was shared for me was one participant said, you know, when she came over to the UK to come to, to university here, she thought that higher education was gonna be about learning and political engagement, about extracurricular activities and ultimately what she felt was all there was to get engaged with was, was drinking. So before I um, move on to looking ahead, I'm just going to touch on identities. So there were limitations to our sample, um, but we were able to explore the importance of disability, queer, pansexual, bisexual, lesbian and undecided sexual identities, as well as class, age, race and income for several of the participants that we spoke to. So um, one example um, with regards to gender, um, a participant was talking about how her gender identity as butch meant that her experiences of lag culture, in her view, were different from those of her, of her more traditionally feminine peers. And she felt that because she didn't perform femininity in a way which lag culture prescribes, okay, so which from our findings was um, really skinny, big boobs, pretty, sexy, but not sexual, 
and um, immaculately presented at all times. So don't you dare go to a, a lecture or to the gym without makeup on. Um, and because she didn't do that, she generally felt she was able to avoid um, the more regular types of, of lad, laddish behaviours. But instead, she so she wasn't sexually objectified, but instead she faced comments about her short hair or her dress sense, for instance. Um, another interesting finding. So in, if we look at previous research, there's this idea that lad culture is about um, middle-class appropriation of working-class Jack the Lad mentality. So if we think of 90s, um, Loaded <coughs> Magazine, Noel Gallagher, Frank Skinner. Um, but actually what we came across was that ladism could be seen in even high positions of privilege. So um, <coughs> for instance, there were stories about forced drinking and verbal abuse at college dinners or classist and sexist statements being said in, in tutorials um, at some of the really high up universities. So um, ladism amongst the, the high middle classes as well. Um, identities were part of a general discussion we were having about campus culture and university experience. And I think they highlight something about expectations of privilege in general in higher education. So I'll just do it on your laptop. I can't afford a laptop. So something I think we maybe need to discuss um, more in general and ultimately we found that lad culture affects women students regardless of their, their identity but of course it taps into a, a, a variety of um, social identification and identity categories so our research you know covered a lot of things we collected a vast amount of data because perhaps our research questions were so broad and we set out to achieve so much um, but we of course looked at the definitions of lad culture and campus culture we collected educational experiences which I, I haven't been able to talk about today um, identities personal experiences of lad culture and instances of sexual sexual violence and even more and within each of these master themes there were loads of sub themes and of course I think that there could be papers and studies done on all of them but if I had to suggest some, I think it would be great to look into ladism and behaviour um, in more detail and also the role of the, the nighttime economies, which I just discussed. Um, and the links between sexual violence and ladism. Um, this really stood out for me and really stayed with me. And I can just share uh, one of the, the anecdotes with you, which was a participant. And she was talking about a friend she had who, who woke up one night. She'd fallen asleep drunk in a friend's bed and this friend was really notorious as a lad within their friendship group and she woke up to him sexually assaulting her and of course she was really distressed about this experience but what was even worse was that she felt silenced because of the position of this lad within the friendship group you know you, I don't want you not to be friends with him I don't want him to be you know ostracized from the friendship group and the participant said it was then that I started to think maybe the line between these lads making rape jokes and actually enacting sexual violence against women isn't that clear cut. Um, so yeah, I do think that that would be difficult but certainly worthwhile of, of further research. In terms of what Alison and I are doing, we are looking at lab culture and neoliberalism, sexualisation and the increasing privatisation of higher education. So look out for um, further publications. Um, and further actions, I'm really excited because there's the NUS Summit at the end of February, which I, I know Kelly will talk about later. Um, and I've been really encouraged by the actions taken by students themselves so far. So whether this is talking about um, policy implementation, like the zero tolerance campaigns, or just having 
debate about popular culture and the role it plays. So here we have um, Robin Thicke's blurred line, so that's an example of it. And ultimately, I just want to keep the conversation going. I, I hope that, that that's what she said can create a platform um, to challenge these problematic lavish behaviours <coughs> and if we can demand positive experiences of higher education for everybody. So, yeah, thank you again for, for letting me speak. Sorry I've been so brief. Um, I'm really happy to take your questions uh, now. So, yeah, thank you.